Good morning, my friends. This is a day that the Lord has made. So if you would join with me, our opening scripture will be 2 Timothy chapter 1 in the church's Bible, page 1366. We have several places to, to pray this morning. Uh, Brooke Beam is in the hospital and with baby. I'm getting that right? Not yet. I'm sorry. Baby will be delivered in the morning. So we want to pray for that delivery, that the Lord is there, and that his will would be done. The second place is Amanda and August. 
and the baby is doing great, continuing to gain weight, but Amanda has a stomach virus, and so we want to pray that the Lord would bring healing to her, to her there. Uh, Joe and Susan continue to travel, and so we want to pray for the Lord's presence with them, um, just to give them eyes to see and ears to hear the things that the Lord is doing. Uh, Raul and Nina are not with us today. Uh, Raul's platelet count is down dramatically, and so he is going to an oncology appointment tomorrow, and we want to pray that the Lord would um, do what the Lord is doing there. Uh, Nina is having back and knee pain, and so unfortunately is doing poorly today. So we want to pray for the Lord's healing in her body. Um, there's been a shooting this week in Maine, as well as other places, but this one is the most well-known. Um, a mass shooting in Maine and has brought many deaths. And the conflict in Israel continues. Um, and it is a challenging and troubling place. And so with all of these places going on in our congregation and in our world this week, I'm so grateful for this scripture that the Lord has given. Uh, here in 2 Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy. And it's an interesting place that Paul says here, Many believe uh, there's kind of divided thoughts over this passage. Some believe that Timothy was simply a weak leader in need of encouragement. Others think that Timothy had great responsibility in the church that he is serving. And I really think all of those perspectives really don't matter because the message that Paul writes to Timothy is true for all of us. So we'll read together just two verses in 6 and 7. Paul says, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So Paul says, I want to remind you, and he's reminding Timothy that when he was commissioned to lead this church, that Paul laid on his hands and that the Spirit filled Timothy with power and with strength and with a sound mind and these great three spiritual ingredients that every believer should have whether we're leading a church or not. These places that the Spirit would fill us and empower us to know that the battle's not against flesh and blood but against the great enemy of our God. That we would have love that would condition our actions and our thoughts and all that we do. And that we'd have a sound mind so that we'd not be pulled to and fro. And really what I believe Paul is saying is to not be passive. To not be overtaken by the things of this world that would cause fear. And we read that God has not given us a spirit of fear. And it's easy to read that and say, yes, we should not have fear. But we should also know what is also being said. That fear is of the enemy, Satan. So if we have a spirit of fear, it's not because God has given it to us or allowed it, but that we have lined up with the enemy in that spirit. But the Lord's not given it to us. So we should each be stirred up in the spirit that has been poured out in every one of us who has called upon the name of Jesus for these three things. So whether it is for someone in our congregation whether it is for an unborn child in Houston this morning, or this conflict that rages in Israel, or shootings or evil that are going on in our country, we should not embody this place of fear or pray with timidity, but instead be girded up with the spirit of our almighty God. Let's pray together this morning.
Lord, I thank you for this day that you have made, rainy in some places, sunny in others. But you are the same God who has put the sun and the moon and the stars in the sky for your purpose and for your glory. I pray that each of us today, Lord, would be firmly rooted in who you are, that we would trust in your plan and your ways, and that we would see that there is an enemy who is seeking to bring destruction to your people and to those who don't yet know you, and that we would call upon your name, that we would stir up the things of the Spirit, that we would be filled with your purpose today, that you would be glorified in every situation. In Jesus' name, amen.
rejoice cause you're there too I won't be formed by feelings I hold fast to what is true If the cross brings transformation Then I'll be crucified with you Cause death is just a doorway Into resurrection life And if I join you
What a wonderful morning of worship and praise and, and prayer time. And I'm excited about the message that God has for us, but it's a little warm in here. Can we knock that just a little bit, at least up here? Thank you. It's hard to get the temperatures just right this early in the season because we've had this nice rain and cool front. And, and um, so we're going to be in Romans today. We're going to continue in Romans 9. So if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to page 1302. We've been in Romans for a few weeks and particularly in chapter 9 the last couple of weeks. But um, God is trying to help us to understand some verses that are challenging sometimes and oftentimes misunderstood. So I have, uh, I have thanked the Lord so much for helping us to understand some of these places where Paul is, uh, is bringing us to greater understanding of God's truths and of his salvation plan and of his mighty works. So we're going to start, I believe, reading in verse 14, which will just help us remember a little bit about what was going on last week and where we were. So if you'll read with me, Romans 9, verse 14, page 1302. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O oh man, who are you to rely, I'm sorry, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have the power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? These are hard words for us to understand. And if taken out of context and out of the understanding and backdrop that uh, Paul has been giving us, then these can lead us into a total... Um, false understanding of, of the gospel and of what Paul is saying here. So last week, and if you haven't listened to that message, I pray you would go back and listen to that message to understand the fullness of what he's saying with Moses and with Pharaoh, and that we would be able to look at these two examples and understand what Paul is trying to help us see. But as I kind of... Um, began to study this week, the Lord said, I want you to go back and teach again a little more on this place, uh, particularly starting in verse 18 through 24. 
So I want to read that part to you again. That's going to be our, our main text today. It says, Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. When we read that just alone by itself, that presents a situation where it looks like God just picks and chooses who he has mercy on and whom he hardens. But that is not what we read last week, and that is not how God opened this up. He helped us to understand that his heart was for everyone. We read John 3, 16 and some other verses that helped us be reminded that God loves the whole world, and his heart is not to harden anyone. But his purpose, his holiness, and his sovereignty have a place that interact in these places, and we have to see how those um, align with these scriptures. Verse 19 is where Paul is actually uh, suggesting probably what many might be thinking, and he's leading off with this question. He says, you will say to me then, so he's saying this is what you're probably thinking, why does he still find fault? If, it's, if he's hardening who he wants to harden and he has mercy on who he has mercy on, then why in the world would he find fault with where you are? He's the one doing it is the implication. For who can resist or who has resisted his will? He's saying, so you would say, you know, if you have mercy on someone, then they would not resist that. If you harden their heart, they wouldn't be able to resist that. But Paul writes in verse 20, he says, But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? He's really saying, who are you to question God? And he's bringing that up in a place to say you're asking the wrong questions is really what he's saying. But he comes on and he says, will the thing form say to him who formed it, why have you made us like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay? That's the place that we want to look at today. Paul is always speaking in understandings from the Old Testament, drawing us into God's full understanding of these scriptures. So today we're going to look back, <clears throat> if you will, to Jeremiah, and it's going to be on page 890. <clears throat> Jeremiah, we're going to start in verse uh, chapter 17. <clears throat> page 890, Jeremiah 17. While you're turning there, I want you to remember that last week we talked about Moses and his heart was to see the face of God. That was Moses' heart, to know more about him, to draw closer to him, to be in alignment with him, and that was the heart of Moses. The heart of Pharaoh was to be rebellious and arrogant and prideful, and he would not align with the things that God had. Thank you very much. So I want to have those in mind as we come and read in chapter 18 today. 
17 and 18. So we're going to look at chapter 17, verse 23. And um, this is the prophet Jeremiah. He's been sent by God to um, speak to the children of uh, the house of Israel and particularly to Judah. And uh, he's been here about 20 years preaching God's word and his direction to the house of Israel, uh, the house of Judah. And uh, we are going to see, starting in verse 23, exactly where they were with the words that Jeremiah was bringing. Because Jeremiah had been bringing a word of repentance, and their heart starts in verse 23, speaks so boldly. But they did not obey nor incline their ears, but made their necks stiff that they might not hear nor receive instruction. So this helps us to understand what's going to happen in verse 18. Their hearts were uh, hardened. They were stiff-necked. They didn't want to hear the things that Jeremiah was bringing So then if we start in verse 18, it says the word, verse 1, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look as the clay is in the potter's hand. So, you, so are you in, the, in my hand, O house of Israel. The instant I speak concerning a nation... And concerning a kingdom, to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy it. If that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I brought to bring upon it. And the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom, to build and to plant it. If it does evil in my sight, that that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good which I said I would benefit it. Now therefore speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. Return now every one from his evil ways and make your ways and your doings good. And they said that this is hopeless. So we will walk according to our own plans and we will, everyone, obey the dictates of his evil heart. So God sends Jeremiah. He wants to help him to understand exactly how the Lord sees Judah and the house of Israel. And so he sends Jeremiah down to a potter. And um, I know all of us have seen a little bit of potter, uh, p- 
pottery done on maybe online or or maybe you've even participated in that but you know it starts out and it's just this lump of clay it is not really anything pretty it's not useful for anything it is just a lump of clay and the potter begins to use the wheel and his hands and to begin to mold the clay into what is right if you see in verse 4 it says as it seems good to the potter to make so the potter has an idea of what needs to happen here and how this lump of clay needs to be formed and he uses his hands and these wheels to begin to work that but it's interesting because he um Jeremiah says he goes down, he sees that the potter is making something at the wheel, but he's not sure what it is yet. And then the vessel that he made from the clay was marred in his hand. This word marred means ruined or corrupt. So the clay that he's beginning to work with right here, which so reminds us of us, doesn't it? As we were dust and God molded us into mankind, then we see the same understanding here with the potter. He's got this lump of clay. He's molding it, and he starts working with it, and he realizes that it's marred. It's corrupt. It's ruined, completely ruined. It won't work. And it says that in verse 4, it says, And the vessel that he made of the clay was marred in the hands of the potter, so he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. So I think throughout the day we'll see how God, when he sees that the clay is marred, is ruined, is corrupt, then he works to make it again. And that is such a powerful place in understanding. And we are reminded of that, that Jesus even calls us into this place that we were born once, but we have to be born again. And God's heart is for us to be recreated, a new creation. Um, I want also to look down and I want you to see that he's beginning to uh, talk about forming this clay in his hands and verse 7 he says at the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck it up to pull it down and to destroy it he's talking about the nation the nation of the house of Israel and he's saying that, the, you know, if you'll repent, if you'll relent, if you'll turn back to me. In verse 8, he says, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. So God is saying right here, he's speaking to a nation. And I think that's important for us to see. He starts off and he says, this clay is representing a nation. But we saw where their heart was. 
they were not uh, inclined to the Lord. Rather, they were inclined to their own ways, and they were stiff-necked. And he, But he says, if they will turn from its evil. So God is giving a choice. I want you to see that right here. He's using this clay to help us to understand some things, but some things don't relate to the clay. The clay doesn't have a choice, but God is helping us to understand that we have a choice in the matter. And he says, if we turn from your evil ways, I will relent. This word relent um, is, is a place of uh, strength, turning from the strength, turning from uh, the destruction that he might have already have in mind for, that would bring this clay back into alignment. I will relent from the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. And then in verse 9 it says, And the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it. He, he desires to build it and to plant it. But if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. So this place of relenting is a place of... Um, softening your feelings towards something, softening your um, determination towards something. So God is saying if they will turn from their evil ways, then I would relent from the hard places that are in store for this nation. Now what's important to see here, because some would say, that God cannot relent, and yet it says that he says, I will relent. And so God is sovereign. He does know how this is going to unfold, and he does know exactly what it's going to take to get their attention. But God's love is also parallel to this place. So when we understand these verses, we've got to see the parallel between God's sovereignty and God's freedom for mankind to choose. And they work parallel to each other, hand in hand, and they don't contradict each other. And I think we'll see that today. Yet God's heart is for the nation to see. And so he has already spoken and said, if they will not turn, then he's going to bring about disasters and destruction. His heart is that in these disasters and this destruction that they would turn from their evil. And so his sovereignty is there, but his heart to allow free will is there as well. And so as God comes along and he says um, in verse 10, if it does evil in my sight and does not obey, then I will relent concerning the good which I said I would benefit. So he is saying, and if you do not as a nation relent from where you are, if you do not turn from your evil ways, if you do not repent, 
then not only is there a place of chaos coming and a place of destruction coming because of your choice, but I'm going to hold back the blessings. You see that? He says, I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. The good for the nation. He's going to hold that back. So not only is God allowing difficult places, destruction to happen, chaos to come upon this nation, but he's holding back the benefits, the very things he has for this nation to receive because they would not come in alignment. Then verse 11 says, Now therefore I speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So I want you to see he changes from the nation to the individual. I think this is an important place to see, especially in our nation today, as we have a nation that is rebellious and arrogant and prideful and does not turn from the evil. I think we can see how God will um, bring destruction. His heart is that we will turn. So he will use these things of destructions to soften us, to bring us in a place willing to bow the knee. But now he turns in verse 11 to the inhabitants, the individuals of Jerusalem. So not only is this for a nation to understand, but I want you to see for the individuals. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I'm fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. When we are out of alignment with God's will, when we are not willing to repent and to turn from our evil ways, God is speaking and he says, Behold, I'm fashioning a disaster. Wow. And devising a plan against you. But then he comes right there and he says something so important. If you underline, this is a place to underline. He says, Return now. Everyone from his evil ways and make your uh, from your evil ways and your ev and your doing good. I'm sorry, and make your ways and your doings good. So he says, return now, everyone from your evil ways. So he's telling him, he said, this is going to happen if you won't repent, if you won't return to me. He says, you're, I'm gonna there's going to be a disaster. There's going to be a plan that destroys you. And he's saying, return now, everyone, from his evil ways, and make your ways and your doings good. In other words, he's saying, get in alignment with me right now. And verse 12 says, and they said, that is hopeless. So we will walk according to our own plans, and we will, everyone, obey the dictates of his evil heart. So God is coming and crying out to the people through the prophet Jeremiah. 
And he's saying, do you see this lump of clay? How the potter is working this clay. But he starts off and he says, you know, when he sees that the, it is marred up here in verse 4 and that it is corrupt, the, the potter is desires to make it again. Do you see that? It says in verse 4, so he made it again. So he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. So he tries to make it again. But I, want, I did a little research on this understanding of, of this marred and how the potter is working. And it, it said it's very uh, important for us to hear because the potters would try to rework and do to this day rework the clay but sometimes the clay has become hardened and they can't get it to soften up and at that point they actually discard the clay into what is called the potter's field the clay is no longer a workable clay it's gotten hard too many times. It's gotten stiff too many times. It cannot be reworked. And so the potter takes the clay that's marred and throws it out into the field. And um, I want to I give you a, a scripture that will come to mind. Uh, probably did. On page 1148... Let's look at Matthew 27. So amazing how God ties all things together. Matthew 27, page 1148, verse 7. Um, this, is a, this is where Judas has been paid uh, money for revealing where Jesus is. And let's actually start in verse 6. It says, but the chief priest, so G, uh, Judas takes the money back and uh, throws it down. And he um, is so distraught that he's done this. It says, but the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood. So this was blood money. And so they couldn't put this back into the treasury of God's, um, of God's temple. And verse 7 says, and they consulted together and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled that was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, they took the 30 pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, whom they of the children of Israel priced, and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. 
And now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asking him, and it goes on. But here he, they bought this uh, potter's field to bury the strangers in. And I, I looked this up a little bit, and these, this word strangers could be uh, accursed. Those who were accursed, those who were unclean, they were not uh, chosen by God. They were not the chosen children of Israel, and they were not following God's ways. Never would a Jewish person be buried in this place of the potter's field because it was considered to be a worthless and accursed place. And I think this is interesting that Paul would use this. I want to turn back <clears throat> to chapter uh, 9 in Romans. On You may have your marker there, page 1302. And we see that Paul is using this place <clears throat> to help us, he said, does not the potter, in verse 21, does not the potter have power over the clay, the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? This is an interesting place, and, and God began to help me to understand a little bit about this place and how the potter was making one for honor and one for dishonor. You know, as we talked last week, uh, Paul is really talking about the things he's been talking about since chapter 8, and he's talking about flesh and spirit. And Paul is trying to help them to understand you cannot continue in your flesh, you can't continue to be rebellious, that God will bring destruction. And that's exactly what we were seeing in Jeremiah 18. So God was helping me to, I wanted to have some kind of understanding because I think this all gets lost and the next couple of verses get lost. And so God helped me to have an a, a, a illustration today. And I took this from an idea that Kathy used with her high school girls a while back and in teaching them about choices. But today we're going to look at these two chairs and understand that these two chairs represent God's plan. So what I want you to see is this, this is God's plan for mankind. And it includes two places. And the first place I want to I want you to understand is a place where you're born. I want to make sure my notes are here so I can tell you exactly how God showed me this. Yeah. So the, um, one of the things I want you to see here is it, it is God's plan. And out of this plan, it includes two places here. And in this plan is one lump of mankind. So when Paul said, 
in verse 21, he says, Does not the potter have the power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and one vessel for dishonor? I want you to write down in your notes that that one lump is mankind. The potter has power over the clay. And mankind all comes from the same lump. Okay? And in that lump, we're born in one place. And that place is a place of sin, right? So we're going to use this chair right here, and this is going to be where the lump is of mankind is born. And in this place, mankind is born in sin. Throughout Paul's teachings in several different books as well as Romans, but particularly in Romans 8 and 9, Paul refers to this place as the place of flesh. Mankind is born in his own flesh, in his own will, in his own ways, and this is the lump. Paul wants us to understand that we can have a choice and we can actually move out of that place through the blood of Jesus and be in his spirit. From the same lump, one can be in the flesh or one through choice and through the blood of Jesus can be in the spirit. Paul helps us to understand this in that the vessel, the clay, is molded into Oops. Let's get another one. That didn't work very well, did it? <laughs> Into dishonor. So the one that stays in the flesh, it's molded into dishonor. It's not what God wants with the flesh and the, and the clay to be in dishonor, but because it would not bend and allow and repent and allow God to mold it into what it wants it to be, then it would be a vessel of dishonor. It does not honor the potter. The one that surrenders to God and allows God to mold the vessel, this would now honor God. This vessel 
would honor God. It's from the same lump. One will be made for dishonor. One will be made for honor. So Paul writes in verse 21, he says, Does not the potter have power over the clay? From the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor. What I want you to see is that when we were reading in Jeremiah 18, it was not God's choice to make the the clay or to make the individual or to make the nation dishonorable, but it was their choice to not repent, to not turn from their ways. That's what makes it dishonor. They were in a place of dishonor. Does that make sense? Let me go back to chapter 18 on page 890. So I want you to hear this place again and hear that it is not God's desire but out of this place, it's not the potter's desire, but out of this place, it brings that vessel into dishonor. So let's look at starting in verse 4. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred, was corrupt. It was ruined in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel as seemed good to the potter. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as the potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. The instant, the situation, I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck it up, to pull it down, and to destroy it. If that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent from the disaster that I have thought to bring upon it. So the vessel of destruction, the vessel that's marred, God makes it into another vessel, but that vessel is not going to be a vessel that receives good things. That vessel is going to be a vessel of dishonor because it is in, out of the heart that God is using the destruction and the disasters to try to mold someone to change their life and to come in alignment with the Lord. Does that make sense? But the vessel for honor is for the one that would relent and would repent and would turn from their ways and God would mold that person into a vessel of honor. All right, I want to read now back in Romans. I want to go back here and read in verse um, 22. 
And it says what there, but what is not actually in the Greek, and I prefer to just start with if. If God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory. If God wants to show his wrath, in other words, God using and making this vessel again that was marred and uh, ready for destruction, if he wants to use it for his power, then he can actually use this. He has the right to use this because they would not turn from their ways. So he has the right to use this to show his wrath. This place of dishonor, this place of being in the flesh, this place of not repenting and of not changing, of not choosing to be here, an obedient, willfully following the ways of the Lord. In this place, Paul calls this the place of vessels of wrath. God doesn't desire that anyone would be in this place. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. But those that will not come under God's authority and obedient to his wills and his ways, he now calls them vessels of wrath. Just as he did with Pharaoh, he uses this place for his purpose and this vessel, even though it's a dishonorable vessel, he uses it for his purpose. And his purpose can be first to try to get the person to repent, so he brings destruction upon this vessel, but at some point in time, if this vessel chooses to not repent and continues in their own way, it will be, as the potter, thrown out. It will not have the place of honor that this place has as a vessel of mercy. I want to show you this place. This vessel, who has surrendered to God's ways, has now become a vessel of mercy. The plan of salvation. This person received and became a, a vessel of mercy.
this place represents God's judgment and his justice. He is just and he has the right to bring judgment because this person, this nation chose to continue in their own flesh. So judgment and justice can be served to the vessels of wrath who are dishonorable to God's ways because they remain in their flesh. This place reflects God's love, his grace, his mercy, because the vessel received the plan of mercy, the plan of salvation through Jesus, and was considered to be an honoring vessel to the Lord. This person honored the Lord's ways and brought honor to his name by walking in his spirit, by surrendering to his will. What I think gets confusing is that not understanding that all of this is God's salvation plan. God had to allow for a place for his judgment and his justice because of his holiness. But out of God's love, he created a place for us to choose, each one of us, to receive his mercy, his love, and his grace. It's a choice. It's a choice. I want to read this again, and I want you to hear through this understanding, starting in verse 21 of Romans 9. Does not the potter have the power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and one for dishonor? Does God not have the right because of his holiness that out of the same lump, the same lump of mankind, everyone has a choice? But depending on their choice, God has the right to make one dishonorable to bring destruction, to bring disasters, to try to awaken this person that they might choose to be honorable. But because of God's judgment and justice, God has the right to make of one lump one that would be honorable and one that would be dishonorable. 
God has that right, not because he desires for anyone to perish, but that all would come to, to eternal life through Jesus. But it's through their choice, as we saw in Jeremiah. Verse 22 says, If God wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with long-suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. So God wanting to show his, his power and his wrath upon those that would be disobedient He has, he has the right to do that. But it says, with much long-suffering for the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Over and over and over again, these vessels have prepared themselves for destruction. God has not prepared them. God has allowed the destruction to come. But God did not choose this place. The one lump has a place to decide where it's going to be. And verse 23 says, And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercies which he had prepared beforehand for glory. The riches of his mercy. Prepared for beforehand. God's sovereignty knew who would choose and who would not choose. But mankind's free will allows them to choose where they choose to be, either as vessels of mercy or vessels of wrath. God's sovereignty knows where you're going to be. But God's free will for man allows them to choose. He does not make them choose. Just as we saw in Jeremiah 18, where he did not, his heart was that they would repent, they would relent, and they would turn from their ways. Verse 24 says, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. He's going to help us next week to begin to see how this unfolds for the Jews and Gentiles. But he is saying that even us whom he called, he called all of us, not only the Jews, but the Gentiles also. That each one of us would have an opportunity to choose where we desire to be. And um, I want to take us back and look just uh, one page back in that chapter 8 again and uh, see how Paul unfolds this place and is continuing to help us to see what he's talking about here in chapter 9. So chapter 8, verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation, no punishment, no death penalty to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. There's no condemnation for those 
who are in Christ Jesus, there's no penalty of death. There's no punishment. For those who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Paul is not writing these verses in a way to say that God picks and chooses who's going to be in which seat. But God is sovereign and knows who's going to be in which seat. And God in his sovereignty allowed, because of his holiness, to have a place that demanded justice and demanded judgment. But his heart is for all to receive love and grace and mercy. I pray that we would not get these misunderstood and we would understand Paul's writings and the heart of the Father that would call us all to come to a place of change. Stand with me, please. Wash me just now. 